0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash gift. About today, and this is—I don't know—I I feel like I've just been dragging this out, but we've been talking about something called holistic habits. Now, holistic habits really came from the frame of Leviticus, um, and the frame and, and kind of uh, train of thought that we had specifically for it was this: this idea that as the Levites, who were the most holy people, those who were carrying out the service of of the temple. Um, I guess you could say procession and oversight. Um, Essentially what these people did is, is before, we all view them as holy and they were the holiest tribe of the 12 tribes. But as they were dedicated... What happened was, is they, as they were dedicated, it says that they would be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, devoted to God. And in this place, we start to, ass- to assess and develop this idea that being wholly devoted to God can develop holiness that we seek. Because holiness, if I asked you the question, you know, do you, would you consider yourself holy? A lot of us are like, man, that seems like a very far goal to have. Or if you're somebody who's like, yes, I absolutely am holy, then I probably would pray for you for repentance. But I want to encourage you, as we've been talking about holistic habits, you can go back and listen. We don't have anything live, but you can go on any podcast platform and look up Fixate PHX. And there's kind of different things where we go through the holistic habit of reading scripture, the holistic habit of prayer. The the last few weeks we've talked about the holistic habit of, of pruning and embracing difficulty and what it is able to produce in our lives. And today, what I want to talk about is something that I believe should be a habit, but is one that all of us are terrified of. Of, and I guess the, the subtitle would be "Messengers of the Good News." What does it mean to be a messenger of the good news today, and in all honesty, right what is a holistic habitual habit of which we prof- profess our faith to the world now there 's many different names for this, whether it 's evangelism or proselytizing or the guys that are on the street corner with the with the horns just going crazy. There's so many different ways that this is done today. But at the same time, I want to challenge your perception of what it means to be somebody who shares the good news. You know, I think a lot of this comes down to if we really were to evaluate our, our ability to tell people about Jesus. I think the common devil's advocate assumptions we create are one, it's awkward. Two, It's very uncomfortable. Three, it's not a social norm, and it really is terrifying to do. And four, I absolutely don't want to do it at all. And I think what we don't realize, though, is sometimes in the midst of this, what we might find is in our awkwardness, in our shame in our self-condemnation of, gosh, I am terrible about doing this, or how do I even share the gospel to somebody who has no concept of it, what we might find out is God can still use the brokenness and unpolishedness we possess and accomplish something with it. A few years ago, I, uh, I, I was a missionary kind of growing up. And what I mean by that is, I went on my first mission trip when I was uh, 14. I don't know what my parents were thinking, but they sent me to Latvia, Russia, and Sweden for a month and a half uh, in between my eighth and ninth grade year. I don't know what parent would do. I feel like Keith and Sherry would definitely do that. They would send their kids, but uh, but I am not sending my my eighth or ninth grader probably that way. Maybe Grace will. I don't know. If She says we're sending. We're sending anyway. <laughs> But, but I, that was the first time I went on the mission field, and then through that, I kind of, over the course of um, really 14 to like 21, I did just a lot of international travel with, with missions and really loved it. And one of the things that I loved to do is I'd spent a lot of time in, uh, in the Africa, the continent, all over kind of different countries. And one of the places, one thing that I loved to do is I would buy little hand drums in each one of these locations, because if you didn't know this, I'm a, I was a drummer growing up. And so I would buy these little hand drums. And these hand drums were like more my souvenir. I have multiple hand drums, all from different African nations. And this particular hand drum is from Mozambique. Now, while I was in Mozambique, we uh, had built a church building. And in that church building, we were, we flew out to dedicate it. And so we had a pastor contact that was a part of a village that was, their church had really exploded. And in doing so, what had happened is, is they reframed this entire building. And so I went out with a team in which we were going to go just pray over the building and bless the pastors. And we'd built different uh, churches all over in different villages. And in doing so, what we found was that we really connected with the community. And so I'd been to this community um, a few times. And in doing so, I remember one day as a joke, we had a worship leader playing the guitar. We were kind of in our our little prayer huddle time before we went out and and did some different stuff. And I remember he's playing the guitar and as a joke, I bring out my drum and I could play hand drums and I would play in our worship set with like six people. I would play this little drum on my lap and it became kind of like this hit where I would bring this drum with me everywhere and in the car. I'd like make up little songs and just random stuff because I was weird. Um, and, And I remember we're going to this church dedication service, and there's supposed to be 150 to 200 people there, so probably similar to what's in this room right now. And I remember my dad comes up to me before, and he says, hey, did you bring your drum? And I said, what do you mean, my drum? He said, that little hand one. And I said, yeah, why? And he said, well, do you, what if you jumped in on worship, and you played your little drum? And I said, oh, that's a, that's a, a God-awful idea. I'm like, Dad, that's a, that's a drum for six people, like, to make a joke out of, not 150 during a worship service. And he's like, no, like, it'd be fun. I think it'd be, no, it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be cool. It'd be terrible. And I remember I'm like pushing my dad and my dad's like, OK, we won't do it. And so what happens? My dad comes on stage and he does his sermon and he's at the, at the very end. He goes, hey, we're going to actually do a time of worship with with our worship leader and one of our, and a drummer. And I'm like, you, you, you dog, you, you dog. And I and I remember and he was like, we're going to do an upbeat song. And genuinely, I So the best part was, is this church didn't have chairs. How do you think you hold this in play? <laughs> so here I am in front of this church in Mozambique, while my friend is on his guitar, and I'm just like this, right? And I and I'm playing this trumpet, and I'm like, I literally, just picture how awkward this is. Just. So we start playing this fast, we start playing this fast song, and we're playing this fast song, and and all of a sudden, everybody is erupting when the drum starts playing. And I'm like looking out, like hunched over, and I'm just like, God, why, this is the most shameful thing I've ever done. I'm playing a drum that is the size of my hand. In the, middle, in the middle of Mozambique, 200, and guess what happened? At the very end, people were running out to their houses, getting their drums, coming back. We got a drum circle. I'm like for hours just playing this drum. And the thing that I was ashamed about, did not want to do, resented, and needed to be kicking and screaming, forced to do, became the thing that day that everybody remembered. I tell you that story because what you might find is the thing as it pertains to sharing faith that you're afraid of, you're terrified of, that you feel shame about or condemned or I just, I could never speak to somebody just on, just in a restaurant or just a friend that I know who does not, but I could never do that. What you might find could be the very thing that defines who you are to them. And I guarantee to this day, if I go back to that village and I showed up with that drum, people would probably still remember. And I want to encourage you that that's the frame of thinking I'm coming from. Is sometimes we overestimate how, how foolish we look or dumb or 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 shameful in terms of like, okay, I don't know how to do this. And I pray that you realize today, sharing the good news of Jesus, you will feel those things. And there's not a right or a wrong way to do it in essence, but I tell you this, if you do it consistently and it becomes this habit in your life, you might find that you unlock a door of fulfillment that you never thought you would unlock. Because sharing your faith is a lot different than reading your Bible, it's a lot different than worshiping, it's a lot different than showing up to church, it's a lot different than being generous and giving, it's a lot different than having your prayer room at your house, it's a lot different, and when you practice it, you might find that you find fulfillment in a way that you never thought you would. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to focus on a passage of Scripture, and really the framing is this. Is this passage of Scripture, I believe, is incredible for us as like a blueprint. And what I mean by that is if I were to ask you the questions today, what does it mean for you to share your faith? What does it mean to carry a habit of sharing faith? I would say most of us, there'd be a barrage of answers. But in this passage, what I love is it's not just a sharing of faith, but it's a conversion of mind, body, soul. It's a full redemptive process in this that we see that God cares about humanity as it pertains to their salvation, but also their circumstance. And he's the restorer of all of those things. And what I want to do, I, I'm getting, you're, you're not going to hear me do this a lot, but in this moment, I want to have a moment of honesty with you. I'm going to share stories of things that God has done for me as I've pertained, as it pertains to telling people about Jesus. And I do not tell these stories for you to look at me and say, wow, Mike, you are so good at telling people about Jesus. I tell you these stories because if I stand on a stage and tell you to do something, I will live it. But at the same time, I want to challenge you that these things can happen for you as well. And some things that I've struggled with is at previous churches and previous places, people sometimes would just stereotype and say, well, that's just how Micah is. That's just how Micah's faith works. That's just who Micah is that he's able to do those things. No, that's not how it is. There's, it's not how it is. And my goal is to tell these stories to stir your faith so you realize that, man, I have a part I can play as well. So let's read this passage of Scripture. Luke 5, 17 through 25, it says this. One day he was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men, now we can look in different, uh, this, this story is told about in different gospels. We, we can find out that there's four men that are kind of carrying their friend. It says this, and some men, four men, were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Now, one thing I will do when I get to heaven is find the guy who allowed this to happen, who owned the home. Like, think about it. If if later on today you're sitting in the Super Bowl and you just hear somebody ripping your roof open. I I promise you, I'm not thinking like, oh, let's have a prayer meeting for this person. I'm thinking like I'm getting a baseball bat. (laughs) What, it's it's so fascinating to me when we like read these scriptures. We're like, oh yeah, this makes total cultural norm sense. It's like, no, it doesn't at all. Like who like is like, oh what? Oh the meeting's packed. Let's rip a roof off and drop a friend in. It's like let's make sure we read the Bible, but we also understand that this does not make any sense. <laughs> the homeowner was mad. Is all I gotta say. Anyway, so it says this verse 20 seeing their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven now i ain't gonna lie if i'm one of the friends that just brought the homie in and put him at the feet i don't care about the sins i care about the fact that i just carried my crippled friend and put him at your feet and he and you're worried about his sin right and this is why i'm getting into this passage because i need i want us to understand what jesus is doing There's an obvious need, but the need is not met instantaneously. See, the need that God sees is not a need for healing, but a need for salvation. And I believe today, see, a lot of people have needs, but what they don't recognize is the greatest need of all is for repentance of sin. It's for receiving grace. And then from this place, healing and restoration can come, but first, sin is addressed. It says this. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins have been forgiven or say get up and walk. I love this because once again, when we're dissecting this story, Jesus is saying it is the same thing for me to forgive sin and also to see the lame walk. Think about that. If I was to say, hey, you know, at the end of this service, all right, I challenge you this week, go tell one person about Jesus. I think all of us could rationally be like, "Okay, I could probably do that. But if I said, hey, everybody, one person this week who you see lame and cannot walk in a wheelchair, go walk right up to them and don't leave until they're out of it. Now, that would be a whole nother level. And Jesus is creating this this paradigm where it's not this and this, it's this. And we're going to get into exactly what he's trying to communicate, but I want to challenge our perceptive reality that sin is the greatest thing we could ever address in somebody else's life. That sin that separates, the sin that pulls away from. See, that is what God came for first and foremost, not saying he doesn't want healing and restoration, but I am saying that he wants sin absolved. First, let's continue reading. It says this, verse 24, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. What I want to talk about today is how to make sure the Great Commission isn't a great omission in your spiritual life, right? How do we make sure that the Great Commission is actually something we don't just believe and read about, but we walk out? And it's funny because I love passages of the Great Commission. One of them, in speci- like in, it's the specific moment. I think another time where we don't put ourselves in Scripture is it's like it says that Jesus is literally giving the Great Commission and it's, he's ascending into heaven. And as he's ascending, it says some still doubt it. Could you imagine that? Right. If I've just like started reading, if Jesus like I, I'm saying it like me, but let's just put myself in here. If I just started levitating into the air. And I'm like, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. And, lo, and I'm still rising. And lo, I'll be with you always. And I'm still rising. And people are like, yeah, this seems fake. <laughs> it's like, I would love to be the friend that's next to us. Somebody who looked and was like, yeah, I don't know if this is real. And I'm like, what? Like, not even the nails in the hands, the thing in the side. But dude, the dude is floating into the sky. <laughs> But once again, I want to read, though, because for a lot of us, it's a great omission because we're forgetting that these are Jesus' last words as he's going to the Father. Jesus' last words as he's going up to the Father is this, this command of sorts, and I just want to make sure that you know the totality of what that is. Matthew 28, 18 and 9, it said, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How many times does it reference altar call? How many times does it reference repeat after me? But what we do know is it references you Going into all the world. Making disciples. Man, that, even that phrase is like, you're like, how do I make a disciple when I don't even feel like a disciple half the time? <laughs> and what I want to do is, I, I think that's the gravity of what the enemy tries to do. Is he tries to paint a picture of everything you're not, so he can tell you exactly what you should do. As the, the enemy's number one, when you start breaking down the names of Satan, it's just deceiver, right? And I think we have this like huge view, which we should, that there is darkness, there is light, there is spiritual forces in the, in the heavenly realms, there is demonic oppression, there's all these things. But at the basis of who Satan is, oh, you can eat from this tree. It's deception, so for us today, sitting in this room going, man, I will. no offense, you could talk all day long about how you should share faith. I ain't doing it. Devil's won that deceptive battle because what he's trying to say, you don't have anything to say. You have no way to lead people. You have nothing to talk about. You still struggle in your life. And God's saying, hey, I still can work through that. So what I want to talk about, like I said, how to make sure the Great Commission isn't the great omission in your walk with the Lord. The number one thing, right, to start with is the crowd will always be an obstacle that will validate why you can't. The crowd will always be the obstacle. In this instance, the crowd is a physical crowd. In our instance today, the crowd is a mental and spiritual thing that we're fighting, Why? Because the crowd has labeled what church and Jesus is. And in some respects, to play devil's advocate, what they've labeled it, they've been right. The church has failed in regards of grace, forgiveness, acceptance, inclusivity. We failed in terms of showing people what true love is rather than a controlling and manipulative religion. We've failed at certain things. And so as we fight a stigma today, we don't don't not acknowledge what people perceive Christianity is. But what we have is we have an incredible opportunity for the purity of the gospel to shine through. Because purity of motive, people, gets people's attention. The purity of the motive not being, let me get you to do this, let me get you to say this, let me do... The purity of the moment is, hey, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much he sees you? Can I pray with you because I believe that God is... that that you need prayer today. And I'm telling you these stories because a uh, a few months ago... And some of, these, some of you in this room have actually met this person. I was uh, going out golfing, and one of the things that I like to do is I try to play golf once or twice a week with complete random people. Because if I can golf for three to four hours with somebody, typically there's room somewhere for a conversation around the gospel. So in this particular instance, I was, I was golfing, and I was warming up at the, at the driving range, and as I was warming up, I felt in my spirit the Lord say, Micah, today you're going to ta- be paired with somebody, and I want you to tell them you're a pastor, I want you to tell them you're planting a church, and I, want you, and I need you to know that they need prayer for something right now. And I'm like, okay, great, sounds good. And I'm like, uh, we're jumping right in, alright, I'm not going to stretch my spiritual muscles, not just my golf ones. So I remember I'm sitting here, and as I'm, as, I, as I'm getting ready, we go up and we tee off. It's me and one other guy. And as we tee off, nobody's there. And I'm like, wow, heard that one wrong. I get in my cart to leave, and the starter stops us and says, hey, there's a guy who just showed up. Can he jump in your group? I said, yeah, he can jump in. So he shows up, and it's funny because he shows up. He hits the golf ball, drops three F-bombs, and by the end of the hole is chugged three beers. By the end of the next hole, we are now another three deep. And it's at this point where I'm like, okay, God, like, are you sure this is the guy? Why, what am I saying here? The crowd, the stigma of the crowd, right? Are you sure this is, are we sure? Pace of place starts to slow down and I can sense that the Lord is still speaking to me. And so I end up, I tell the guy in the car, hey, just so you know, we're going to shift into some spiritual overdrive. And I walk up to him and I say, hey, man, I just wanted to let you know I'm a pastor. I'm actually playing a church here in the next few months. And I wanted you to know that I felt like the Lord told me that I was going to play with you today and that you needed prayer for something. And he looked at me and he was dumbfounded like, what? And come to find out his brother was, was, had heart failure and was supposed to have open heart surgery the following week. And it was weighing really heavy on him. So I ended up praying for him and not only did not listen to the story because this is not just a one-time thing. And I think that us Christians, this is how we need to start mentally preparing ourselves for what it means to tell the good news. I prayed for him and his brother ended up actually doing better and not needing the surgery. So I prayed for him and then started playing golf with him regularly. And then in playing golf with him regularly, found out his story that he was addicted to substances for for over eight years and had been in jail and all of these things. And I'm still praying for him, still talking to him about the Lord. But then all of a sudden it was, hey, you know, do you need, came to my church, came to the church when nobody was here and looked up and was kind of all around and said, hey, you know, I can fix that steeple or steeple outside. So volunteered some time to fix that steeple and then ended up coming to church at our very first Sunday. And not only that, not only did he come to church our very first Sunday, but he was the very first one to ever sign up to give reoccurringly here. That man was. Not only did he volunteer on our steeple, not only does he give regularly to this day, four months later, not only has he came to a service, but he's a friend now. And I can tell you this his conversion has not been this Saul scales falling from the eyes all of these things but I can tell you this he has seen and felt Jesus through our relationship and I'm okay with that and I want to encourage you in this because I think a lot of the times the crowd perception was he's dropping F-bombs and he's smashing beers I have no way in but the God we serve doesn't he doesn't acknowledge locked doors he holds the keys and I want to challenge you in that regard, because I think if for some of us, if I, were to, if I were to sum up, if you can share the good news, is your spirit is willing, but your schedule is not. And what I mean by that is there was a fascinating study I'm just going to reference, and I'm going to reference it briefly, and I still have not remembered what book I read this in, but it was an incredible study in which they recreated the Good Samaritan. Now listen to this. It was fascinating. They recreated, recreated the Good Samaritan story at a, at a theology and kind of Bible school. And what they did is one of this one of the students was kind of doing his dissertation on is the Good Samaritan still like how they functioned, right? Is that still alive today? So what they did is they called in students to meet with. Professors And what they would do is they would plan. The, the, the professor would tell the student, hey, your meeting actually isn't here. It's over here. And you have to be there in there was either a five minute, 15 minute or an hour. So what would happen is, is the professor, they'd walk in and they would think they have a meeting with their professor about a potential job or something to do. And, and the professor would look at them and say, actually, your meeting's not here. It's across campus in five minutes. So they'd hurry and get out and start running, and they would plan something to happen, an accident, on the route that they were on where somebody would need help. 87% of people just didn't stop, just went right around it. So the 15-minute increment, it dropped to about 60%. The one-hour increment, right, 8 out of 10 people stopped. And the whole philosophy was this, is when you have time, you'll do it. But when you don't, you won't. And I want to say this to you, if, if all you have is a jammed packed schedule of responsibilities and things going on, but you're like, God, I really want... Our God is a God of interruption. Not only is our God a God of interruption, but our God, if you actually look at the stories of the gospel, most of the time he's having conversations with what I would call Gentile converts, is in process and in route to a destination. He's walking along a road and sees. He's interrupted by a crowd with his disciples. Over and over, we, we don't realize that we serve a God of interruption who models what it looks like to take the opportunities presented in front of us. And yet we sit here and go, God, why don't I have opportunities? And in the words of Jill Sheplin, my mother, who a few weeks ago, if you know anything about my mom, carries an evangel cube in her purse. If you don't know what an evangel cube is, it's an eight piece like square that goes through the gospel story. And my mom has carried this thing around for over 15 years. For some reason, when she found out about an evangel cube, I mean, it was it was literally like finding out that airplanes could fly to her. <laughs> my mom to the, I have had friends straight up call me and say, hey, man. We just had your mom. We were so stoned. Your mom came up to us with that Evangel Cube thing, and they didn't know that we knew her, but we sat there. And Sorry if she's like, sorry if she, we definitely blew her off, but if we knew her, she was your mom, but we were just so stoned. <laughs> like, literally, I've had friends call me where my, mom, my mom's like, Hey, I saw those guys. They weren't there, Micah. <laughs> do you hang out with them? It's like, yes, I do. But it's funny because that's just who she is, what she carries, and what she's about. But also, too, I want to challenge you in this regard as it pertains to that, is what she said a few weeks ago as she said something that struck me. She said, eating your Fritos, wanting your kudos. (laughs) And I laughed because essentially what she was saying is, Micah, we want to eat the Fritos of comfort and have the kudos of we've done something. And I want to challenge you To be somebody who's willing to be interrupted, who's willing to look at the perceptions of the crowd and say, okay, I know those are the perceptions, but God has a way in. Second thing is this, and I think this one is so important. They took him upward and in front. Paralyzed faith started on their faith's back. I'ma say this, as sad as it is today, most of the time people aren't getting aren't coming to know Jesus is because we're not taking him upward we're not taking him upward and we're not putting them in Jesus' feet. And I would also say this paralyzed faith, if there's somebody in your life with paralyzed faith, it's gotta start on your faith's back. And the thing about faith is when you've got a strong back, I can take the prayers and the requests of people. I can believe and trust that God can change rock hard ground into that soft ground where the seeds can take place. And I want to challenge you. Do you have friends that you know or people that you know who are paralyzed in their walk with Christ, but you can put them on your faith's back and constantly bring them up and constantly put them at the feet? Because if you're willing to do that, you, God can trust you to see incredible things. But if you're not willing to go upward with who they are and put them at the feet of Jesus repeatedly and over and over, you're not willing to put them on your back on the character of who you are and say, you may be not able to get where you want to go, but I will carry you as long as I can until you see him. See, man, that that's a disposition to have as a believer. Now, it's a whole nother thing when you're carrying passive Christians, people who don't want to change, who don't want to, but man really want to be a part. That's different. But I have room on my back for those who do not believe and I'll bring them up and I'll put them at the feet and it'll be said of that of me is if, I, if I, somebody crosses my path, the goal of me is to bring them upward and put them at the feet. where, And by upward, I mean give it to God and bring them so close that they sense Him. Not so close that their conversion is imminent. Not so close that I can tell people, wow, I've saved 473 people. Not so close for that, but so close that the proximity changes the person. I've brought them upward and I've put them as close as I can. That's the story of these friends. Whose faith right now are you literally carrying on your back upward, putting at his feet, knowing that they are paralyzed and believing for their restoration? You know, a few years ago, I was challenged. um, I was at a particular thing in Kansas City, and by a few years, this is probably over 10 years ago now, I felt like the Lord said, Micah, you... Today, you're going to preach on a public bus. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm really looking forward to that. (laughs) Just kidding. That was not the response. I was not a preacher at that time. I was not involved in ministry, nothing. It was, like I said, well over 10 years ago. And I remember the Lord specifically said, you know, you're going to preach on a bus today. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Which, you know, once again. I'm not saying everybody just go find the nearest bus However, afterwards, if you want to, go right ahead I don't know Uh, But I remember I went and I got on this bus And I remember I was with one person And I I felt strongly the Lord said, hey, I want you to preach on this bus And so I remember going to my friend and I'm like, okay We're going to walk on the bus and I'm going to fleece the driver And So I walk on the bus and like in my most Christian-y terms possible I look at the bus driver and I go, hey do you mind if I preach the gospel of Jesus on your bus? And I'm like, please say no, please say no, please. And he looks, he goes, yeah, that's fine. And I'm just, I'm just like immediately terrified, like, oh my gosh. So, so I sit there and I'm like, okay, here we go. So I sit in the front row, bus starts, takes off from the bus stop. I turn around and I go, hey, everybody. My name is Micah Sheplight. And I wanted to let you all know that God loves you. He's got a plan for you, that there's a reason that you were born, that he sent his son not just to forgive your sin, but to give you better life. About 35 seconds in, I'm starting to like get in my flow. I'm like, okay, people are listening, not just like throwing vegetables. And (laughs) bus driver pulls over. He goes, hey, man, you're going to have to sit down. (laughs) And it's a bus stop. And so I got to sit down after 35 seconds. I'm like, almost hit an altar call. And I'm like sitting there, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And these people are all coming on the bus. People are leaving, like looking at me like a freaking weirdo. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, wow, 35 seconds. Okay. And we take off, and I'm still sitting in the front row, and I'm debating, do I continue to go? What in the world? And from the back of the bus, stand back up. Keep going keep talking, stand up. And I stand up and for the next six stops, just do the same 35 seconds over and over. Finally, after those six stops, I get off the bus and two people or three people get off with me and I prayed with all three of them. But what's fascinating, right? is in my mind. This is exactly how I'm going to do it. This is exactly how it's going to work. This is exactly how it's going to be done. And that wasn't the case. But I can tell you this, it was worth it. And I want to challenge you once again on, the, on that mentality that a lot of us have. That we don't really want to carry faith. We don't really have, and carry the faith of others on our backs. We really don't want to do anything uncomfortable. We really don't want to step out. We really don't want to look shameful or, or dumb in our approach. But I'm going to tell you this. There are going to be people who are eternally grateful for the willingness that you had... And the obedience that you walked out in. You know, there's a quote that I I read. I'm just going to read quickly. And it was a different part of this sermon. So give me a second while I find it. But we need to take some 10% risks for those who will be 100% grateful. You know what a 10% risk is? This might work out. And by might, this is... I may look foolish doing this. But 10%... Of the time that it does hit and it does land, those ten 10% percent are a hundred percent grateful. So the first thing, remember, right? I only got two left. I'll be quick. The cr- um, the crowd will always be an obstacle that will validate why you think you can't. The second, they took him upward and in front, paralyzed faith started on their faith's back. The third one, sin is the demo; healing and wholeness is the reconstruction. I bought my first flip house when I was 22, and it was a terrible house. Absolute dump in Michigan. But what's interesting is if I look at my journey, i flipped a few houses now, and they actually became the seed for how we could move here. But the very first day I ever bought a flip house, we were doing demo where we had to rip out everything. So we were ripping out all of the old black mold and all this stuff, and it was terrible. And I had a bunch of guys with me, and we're ripping it out. And after about an hour to an hour and a half, we start getting, like, a little sick, nauseous. And I'm, like, feeling really nauseous, feeling pretty sick. And then another half hour, hour later, we're really all starting to feel super, super nauseous, like, like, are we all going to throw up? And finally, we push through and make it to lunch. And all the guys who are with me look at me and they're like, hey, we can't do this anymore. We're like really sick. I'm like, well, I'll keep going. So I look at all the guys. They leave and I start working. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, this should be a red flag. But when you're 21, just working on your first house, you just kind of like, oh, I'll push through. So I start throwing up every half hour. <laughs> So I'm working, throw up, work, throw up, work, throw up. And I'm like feeling it. Finally, my dad shows up and I've been there at this point over eight hours. And my dad walks in and he sniffs the air one time and he goes, dude, you got a gas leak in here. (laughs) And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, your entire house is full of natural gas. He said, if I lit a match in here, it'd just blow this thing up. And I go, well, what is that? I have been feeling sick. And he goes, yeah, because all you've inhaled is natural gas for eight hours. Of course you're going to be sick. So I end up leaving. We find a valve that had been open in the house for forever. This flip house is literally just reeking of natural gas. And I just in manual labor doing demo all day in it. Needless to say, we turned off the natural gas and, and it was totally fine. But the reason I tell you this Is because we didn't realize how toxic the environment was until we went in and started working on it. And I want to say this. See, a lot of us, we want God to work on our lives or we want to work on other people's lives and help them see breakthrough healing and restoration. But what we don't want to address is the toxicity of sin that makes the environment a sickness to be in for yourself. And I want to challenge you in this regard because I think a lot of the times what we want is we want to pray for healing and wholeness and we don't want to pray for sin awareness. We don't want to pray for a sin understanding. We don't want to pray for sin for us to, hey God, is there things in my life I don't see? I'm not, I need help with, I need to lay down. See, this is what it means. Demo is easy. Right? Because grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. The demo part is is easy of, hey, God, I receive. Would you break this stuff down? The rebuilding of belief system, that's the difficult part. Because demo only takes a few days, but the rest of that house took months and months for us to rebuild. And I want to say this the toxicity of your environment first must be addressed. And that toxicity is rooted in sin. And we have to be able to tell people hey we have to repent of sin and that's why I love this miracle because Jesus doesn't heal he confronts sin first. Because guess what I'm going to say this right, and Jesus actually quotes this in other passages is if he would have healed but not taken away the sin then that man would have ended up in death. But he addressed the sin and even if that man even if that man wasn't healed but he received that sin absorption He would have eternal life. And I want to challenge us once again to be people who talk about sin just as much as we talk about healing, wholeness, and reconstruction. See, sin is the thing that separates. And when addressed, we remove the toxicity of the environment that allows God to build again. And the last thing is this. If we don't have a heart for the Lord... Or a heart for the lost, we don't have a heart for God. Thomas Burton says this, he's a great um, theologian that I love. All spiritual formation is a series of deaths to the false self. The false self that we're addressing today is that you don't have a role to play in telling people about Jesus. The false truth we're identifying today is that you have a voice that is needed in this hour. Once again, the purity of motive today is us using our broken and fractured lives, but saying, "Listen, God can use me, and He can use you." And I want to challenge you in the belief that you have that God, and in the belief that you have that God doesn't want to use you, or you don't have the gifts, the talents, the voice, or you're not around people, or whatever. I'm telling you, pray a prayer today of God. Would you open my eyes? for the opportunities that are present in front of me. And I'm not saying every person, hey, have you heard about the gospel of God? But I can tell you there's some key words that you can pick up on is the next time you see somebody wearing heaviness or sadness, hey, can I pray for you? I've done that a thousand times and I'm telling you, it unlocks. Th- hey, do you need prayer for something? I notice you just look sad. These types of things, this good news isn't just like, all right, let's hit the seven points, get the four things in prayer, the repeat after me, and voila, new creation. But it's us saying, God, I will be a messenger of the good news all the time. My last thing that I want you to realize is this, and this has nothing to do with uh, carrying the good news, but it's something I felt like I needed to say for all of us. The miracle of this story is not that his faith made him well, but rather his friend's faith made him well. The best thing I can do when struggling with my faith is surround myself with faithful and Bible believing friends. He was healed on the basis of those he was around, the basis of those who drug him when he didn't have a choice. And they made the choice for him. The healing of being around those on fire for God. That you give permission to drag you kicking and screaming. Might be the healing and the restoration you seek. Because they'll put you on and will put you on the stretcher. But only to put you at the feet of him. Let's all stand to our feet. I just want to read this prayer over all of us today. Whatever your posture of receiving is as we go into worship. Oh God, today, would you take out the hearts of stone and put in a heart of flesh One that feels for our neighbors, senses those who are far from you and longs to be a restorative force in creation today. God, may we not passively desire a higher spiritual awareness in ourselves and then disregard the need to help others develop a basic awareness of you. We have not graduated from the good news We have not gotten too busy to care for those around us and bring them upward and lay them at your feet. May it never be said of us that we didn't have faith to believe that you can meet those far from you just by willingness and obedience. You are not the Lord of our schedules margins. You are the Lord of all. You are not the Lord of our Christian circle of friends, but rather the Lord whose final instructions were to go into all the world and make disciples. We are your laborers, and our cities are your fields. Today we no longer care what the crowd has tried to label you as. We know who you are to us, our Savior, Redeemer, Christ, Lord, Messiah, and Friend. We pray for the discernment of your spirit to bring the fresh water of your love to a land in famine. Give us the breath of resuscitation to those whose spirits are on life support. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart for the prodigal, the Samaritan, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the Republican, the Democrat, the pro-choice and the pro-life, the Gen Z, the baby boomer. God, give us a heart for all your people to know of your saving power from sin, healing power of love, and fulfilling power of grace. Not just to have faith, but to develop a new belief system in you. May Fixate be a place where the community is the mission, and the mission is community. In Jesus' name.